Pastor Xavier Reese explains why the simple truth of God's Word is the final word. Verses 4 through 7, Moses rightfully places the Lord between himself and his accusers. How important that is that you understand that. When people come against you, then you need to put, first of all, the Lord between you and them. People want to confront us and ask them, I think, fine, let's see what the Word of God says. It's not a matter of what I, what does the Word of God say? It's a matter of what does the Word of God say? That's the bottom line. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Pride and ambition have long caused mischief, both in government and in the church. And so it was too at the heart of Korah's rebellion of Numbers chapter 16, when unjustly charging Moses and Aaron with taking honor to themselves, despite they were called of God to it. And so in today's Simple Truth study, Pastor Xavier uses the example of Moses' response for how the heart of the wise studies to answer and asks counsel of God in times of confrontation and challenges to faith. Let's listen. Sedition is defined by Webster as conduct or language inciting to rebellion against the authorities of the state. In other words, it is a purposeful, willful, and deliberate plot to overthrow the ruling authorities and to replace them with their own authorities. There are many different forms by which sedition is brought about and it's not always evident or very clear of the evil nature from which they come from. They're self-serving, but often that's not apparent. Now we're not talking this morning about legitimate concerns and things that have to be dealt with or things that are legitimate in terms of opinion. We're talking about sedition where someone tries to usurp authority that is out of line from the scriptures and from what God is doing. That's what we're talking about. So it is not a discouragement to people to interact, to be part of the body, but those who really bring division and destruction to the body of Jesus Christ. Such is the case here in Numbers chapter 16, where Korah instigates sedition against Moses and Aaron. Because of the length of the chapter, I'm not going to read it as I usually do completely, but we'll take each section in time, we'll read it and make commentary on it. But there are three major movements in this passage that will help us to follow the progression, and there is a progression to sedition. First, in verses 1 through 19, the first portion of 19, we have the initial sedition against Moses and Aaron. Then, verses 19, the latter portion, down to verse 40, you have the intervention of God against the sedition. And then, finally, in verses 41 to 50, you have the inevitable repercussions of sedition. Let's look at the initial sedition against Moses and Aaron, verses 1 through 19a. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pilath, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much... Upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? 
So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his, his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him, that the one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man to whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Here now, you sons of Levi, is it too small or is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them? And that he has brought you near to himself, and you, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is there in that you should murmur against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come up. It is, a small, is it a small thing that you brought us up out of the land of milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into the land of, that flows with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of every man? We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry, and he said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken a donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Each of you take a censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring this, his censer before the Lord, 250 censers, you also and Aaron, each of you with his censer. So every man took a censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it. They stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting of Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The initial sedition against Moses and Aaron is found here, verses 1 through 19, the first portion. Notice in the first three verses you have the identity of the mutineers. Their company is recorded in verse 1. Korah was the leader of the sedition, the son of Koath, the tribe of Levi. He's the one that's mentioned even in 2 Peter 2 and in Jude. He says, be careful that you do not go after the gainsaying of Korah. In other words, he was in it for what he could gain. That was his true motive. That's where he was coming from. It's not so apparent at first. And many times people begin to create havoc in the church Divisions or party splits or their own complaining and they rally people and their intention is not really to get to the conclusion or to the resolution but their whole issue is to be number one. To be seen, to be heard. Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Pelath who were the sons of Reuben were sucked into it. Now remember, there's always a greater responsibility on the one who initiates there is no innocent party, but yet the one who begins or instigates, he's the one with the greater responsibility. There's always fault on both sides. There may be ulterior motives, there may be deception, there may be pressure, there may be entrapment, but there is a full exercise of the will on both ends. 
And our society excuses that today, especially with Christian psychology. Nobody's at fault for what they're doing, but it's the other person's fault. It's very convenient. You don't have to go on up to your sin. You don't have to confess it. You just have to blame everybody else for it. Because after all, you're so good. I doubt it. But that's the implication. Their insurrection is initiated in verse 2. They rose up before Moses, some of the children of Israel. There were about 250 in number, leaders of the congregation. That's the sad part. They were modeling a bad example to the people. Like pastor, like sheep. Like priest, like prophet. The greater responsibility falls on those in authority, those in leadership. And if they do not model what is godly and what is biblical, then the people become like the leaders. We've already seen a case in the earlier chapters, I think, believe chapter 12, verse 1 on down, where Miriam and Aaron had already created some sedition against Moses because he had married an Ethiopian woman, which was a big excuse. The real fact was... They thought that God could speak through them. Why did God only speak through Moses? You see, there's always an underlying true motive apart from the superficial one. They were in a place of greater responsibility, having the greater light and privilege. And so therefore, God always deals with leaders more severe. There is a greater consequence because people have their eyes on them and they actually affect so many more people. Notice they were representatives of the congregation, men of renown, it says in the latter portion of verse 2. They were representing their own choice, but equally they were representing the choice of the people. And so they were the representatives. And often through the years, different divisions have happened here at times. And most of the time when that happens, people always speak in generalities. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, don't agree with you. There's three or four. And they speak in generalities. You know, we're tired of this. Who? Grab them. Let's meet. <laughs> and it's usually one or two people who have an axe to grind and they speak in all-inclusive generalities. Notice in verse 3, their insurrection is voiced. The attack was against Moses and Aaron. Their first accusation was that they were monopolizing the leading authority. Listen. You take too much on yourselves. <laughs> I'm always amazed. There was a young man when we first began Calvary Chapel, West Covina, when we just we got into the Safeway, 77 we bought it. Uh, shortly after that, around 78, there was a young man who thought that Raw wasn't supposed to be the pastor I was. And he grabbed uh, a few of his clonies, began a big division, and uh, devastated many people. Uh, he moved on to another church. He did the same thing there with the pastor. And he really believes he's doing right, but he's totally deceived. So I'm not saying that at all times these people know their own destructive ways, but they believe they're doing the right thing. But as you examine what they're doing to the scriptures and the consequences and the outcome, you realize they're in it for themselves. Remember, sin can deceive you. It's a blinding thing. They were accusing them of monopolizing the leading authority. Their reasoning was twofold. He says, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. And then secondly, the Lord was among them. 
So they're saying, listen, all of us are holy. The Lord's among all of us. We're the same. They were ignoring everything God had just told them in Exodus and Leviticus. He went to the specific thing of separating the Levites, of declaring the anointing process, everything, sacrifices, and they were ignoring everything. And often God lays it out clearly, and these individuals, they ignore everything God has recorded, everything God has done, and they become the authority in themselves. It's very subtle. And people get sucked in. Their second accusation was that they had exalted themselves above the people. They say, why then do you exalt yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? Clearly, Moses had not exalted himself. When Moses began, he didn't even want to go. Moses has had a real, a real difficult job. But see, through the perspective of their eyes, they saw it as some type of tyrant. And these type of people, is not so much that that's the fact, but they have a heart problem. They have a problem with submission. The marks of a man, of a godly man, are not that you can drink a lot of beer and punch people's faces and see how many girls you can notch on your belt. The characteristics of a godly man is one who is dependent on the Lord and submissive to the Lord. Those are the marks of a godly man, of a true man. Not the prescription of the world. Wrath is cruel, Proverbs 27, 4 says. Anger is a torrent, but who is able to stand against jealousy? This was the true motive. They were jealous. Envious. The works of the flesh are evident. And he begins to name them in Galatians 20. As you move on down the line, it says idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions or seditions, heresies. They're the works of the flesh. And if we don't watch ourselves, then we can move right into it. It's amazing how we can be so in the spirit and all of a sudden the next minute, we're in the flesh, 100% beef. You ever notice that? I mean, you can jump in from one to the other. The initial response of Moses is most interesting, in fact, in the fact that, you know, these guys were his peers to an extent. And these guys were those who were supposed to surround him. And yet, the attack comes from them. Verses 4 through 19 gives us the initial response of Moses. Verses 4 through 7, Moses rightfully places the Lord between himself and his accusers. How important that is that you understand that. When people come against you, then you need to put, first of all, the Lord between you and them. His attitude was one of humility. He fell on his face. His answer to Korah and all his company was that the Lord would declare his choice at who was set apart and to approach him the next day in verse 5. God would be the one to decide. So when we make decisions, people want to confront us and ask about things, fine, let's see what the Word of God says. It's not a matter of what I, what does the Word of God say? That's the bottom line. It's not a matter of I've got 20 people against you. It's a matter of what does the Word of God say? That's what it's about. God's not a Democrat. I hate to disappoint you. He's never taken a vote on anything. Anything at all. His instructions were communicated in verse 6 on down to 7. Where he tells them to take their censers, put fire in them, incense, and to present themselves before the Lord. 
And then he re his rebuttal was that the sons of Levi, the end of verse 7, they were taking too much on themselves. It wasn't Moses, but themselves. Moses was only doing and being what God had called him to be. They were dissatisfied with what God had called them to be. And isn't that where it all begins? With dissatisfaction. And all of a sudden you start looking around. You remember the first car you ever bought? Maybe it was given to you? That thing was a piece of junk. Primer spots, dance, interior all tore up. But man, you shine that thing up. You got armor all, man. You waxed the primer. You just scrubbed that thing. You did all that stuff, man. You just, you just drove that baby around. Then all of a sudden, time went on, and you got some money, and you look and say, ah, that thing's a piece of junk. But you didn't think that when you first got it. Oh, we start becoming dissatisfied. We start looking around. You ever go out to eat? It takes you about an hour to decide what you want. Everybody decides. And all of a sudden, they bring you the food. What's the first thing you do? They put the food of the person next to you. You look on his plate. <laughs> oh, I should have got that. Never satisfied. Never. Moses rebukes Korah and the Levites, verses 8 through 11. He rebukes them for many things. First, he rebukes them for their ingratitude, thinking it a small thing that God has separated them from the rest of the congregation, verse 8 and 9. Oh, how dangerous it is. God has separated the Levites, chapter 3 of Numbers, 40 through 51. For himself, they thought it a small thing, insignificant. Isn't it easy to, to value someone and all of a sudden, as time goes on, say, eh, no big deal. Husbands, how did you value your wife when you were pursuing her? You still pursuing you still value? Ladies? Same thing towards your husband. Or has it become a commonplace object? Secondly, he rebukes them for their ingratitude towards God, having brought them near to himself. God brought them near to him. They had no dealing with God. God redeemed them. God bought them. God brought them near to himself to be one with God. Do you think that a little thing, that you are one with God? That you have access to the throne of grace any time of day and night because you're a child of God? Thirdly, he rebuked them for their ingratitude towards God and their being called to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord in verse 9, the middle portion. Their work. Again, the work you first get, the first job. You're happy. Oh, man, I'm making money. And then pretty soon, ah, this job's boring. Our attitude. Our attitude is so important. And then, fourthly, he rebukes them for their ingratitude towards God, calling them to stand before the congregation to serve them. They didn't think it a privilege to serve the Lord. Pretty soon it became a burden. Fifth, he rebuked them for seeking the priesthood of Aaron straight out. He nails them. This is the true reason. You're not satisfied with just doing service of the tabernacle. You want the main job. You want the Holy of Holies. You want Aaron's job. Interesting. But then, in verse 11, finally he rebukes them for gathering and murmuring against the Lord. Not against Moses and Aaron. So he really is reproving them and instructing them in hopes of what? 
repentance. In hope of repentance. That's always the motive and the reason why confrontation takes place. Notice also Moses requested the presence of Dathan and Abiram, verses 12 through 15. But they refused to come. Verses 13 and 14, they accused Moses of thinking lightly of bringing them out of the land that flowed with milk and honey in order to kill them in the wilderness, when in fact God had prohibited them from entering. Often when God brings consequences on people's lives, they accuse the related party as the fault. Because it's easier to blame someone. Well, you know, if, if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have gotten in trouble with God. You know, if you would have told me this, or if you wouldn't have told me that, or if you wouldn't have done that, there's always a blame, isn't there? Because we don't want to own up to our sin. Now, it may work with man, but it doesn't work with God. Secondly, of acting as a prince over them on an ongoing basis, which was false. Thirdly, of not having brought them into the promised land and delivering them their inheritance. God took it from them. And then fourthly, of being cruel, a cruel tyrant whom they would not obey. They say, will you put out the eyes of these men? <laughs> we will not come up. Verse 14. So, it's, I mean, it's right out rebellion. Proudful rebellion. Arrogant. In verses 6 through 19, the first portion, Moses repeats his initial instruction to Korah. They had one night to repent. Don't miss that. Verse 16. Tomorrow. He's already shared it one time before. In verse 5. Two times that word appears. You know why it's there? Because God is merciful. He gave them one day to repent. One day. God always gives people time to repent when they become seditious and divisive people. He gives them time to repent. Maybe it's one day, one week, one hour, one second, one minute, whatever it is, but God always gives a time to repent. But people do not take the way of repentance. Over and over we have cases throughout the Bible about seditious and divisive people all the time. And they're warned, they're given time, but they do not stop. They keep going. They each had to represent themselves before the Lord. And God would choose who would be the one that would come before him. Verses 17 down to 19. James 4, 1 and 2 says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Where do all these wars start and everything else? The major wars of the world, where do they start from? From inside, desires to obtain, I want a bigger piece of the pie. And you can take that all the way down to your very family. They come from within. The striving, the wanting more, the wanting to be better, or wanting to be one, or whatever it is, wanting to be right. They come from within. All those carnal divisions and all that attention to, to be number one. The initial sedition against Moses and Aaron was due to jealousy, envy, and self-ambition. That's the bottom line. Moses nails them here. He lays it out before them, and he gives them one night to repent. One night. You say, well, that's not very... Hey, God didn't have to give any time. He always gives time to repent. That's why no one will stand before God and say, you know, you were unfair. You never let me repent. No, nobody. Nobody. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, has been addressing the serious issue of sedition and illustrating with the rebellion of Korah how God deals with carnality. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Sin of Sedition and Its Results. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or a Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Sin of Sedition and Its Results. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com